Welcome to Passion Church. For more information about Passion Church, please visit us online at www.passionchurch.tv. Now let's join the service already in progress. Uh, I've told you already that nothing is a word that I hate. Nothing has in it no promise. Nothing in it uh, to hold on to. I, I, I just, I, I don't like the word nothing because there's no hope when you say nothing. And so we've been talking about some examples of that. I've used different illustrations to try to help you understand and maybe connect with that in your own life. And I thought in honor of the fact that most of our young people are right now in the midst of finals, maybe this one would work. You kill yourself in effort and you knock out a paper that is probably the best paper you've ever written. I mean, it's got every component, every element and you know without a shadow of a doubt, it is an A without any doubt. And so the day comes, finals are here, it's the last project. And so you run to your computer and you attempt to pull up the file. And all of a sudden, you get that dreaded message, no file found. Nothing. Y'all ain't hearing me. Nothing. Like you try to retrieve it under, I mean, you even turn it into the, like, geeks, the computer geeks. They, you call them and they, they can't, nothing. Anybody ever been there? That is a devastating feeling. Like you got to throw the computer out the window and pick up the pieces later. It's devastating. How about this one? You fill out application after application. You go to interview after interview. You dress for success. You nail every answer. Your resume is perfect. And every time, nothing. Week after week, job after job, nothing. Maybe it's this one. You take the meds. You toe the line. You do exactly what the doctor said to do. And weeks go by and there's nothing. No improvement. No change. I hate the word nothing. But more than I hate the word nothing, I hate the experience of nothing. And so we've been talking about passages in the, in, in, in the Word of God that are nothing passages, seasons of nothing. The first one I talked to you about was Jesus in his interaction with the crowd that was hungry. The Bible says that he had compassion on them and wanted to feed them. And he taps his disciples to resource his rescue. And he t- turns to those disciples and he says, I want you to feed them. And the disciples are face to face with a nothing moment. What do you have? We have nothing. And Jesus exposes the, their nothingness, their, 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 their nothing season to force them to rely on him. A lot of times we go through nothing seasons so that God gets our attention and forces us to turn our attention back to him. The second thing he does is he exposes the lie of lack because the disciples didn't have nothing. They had seven loaves and a few fishes. But, but in, their, in their estimation of the overwhelming need, in light of their need, what they had looked like nothing. And I tried to convince you that even though there are days you feel like you have nothing, the lie is that you have nothing. You have something. And if you would surrender it to God, it may just be the key to your miracle. 
And then last week we went into this account. It was the account of Elijah. Elijah kneels and prays and there had been a drought on the land for three and a half years and he prays and over and over and over again he sends his servant to see if there's any sign of rain and the servant comes back and says there's nothing, there's nothing, there's nothing and I said to you out of that there are moments in your life if you're going to walk through and live through the seasons of nothing you've got to come to the place where you believe the promise more than you believe the proof because some of you have proof that your marriage is over and some of you have proof that you're struggling financially and some of you have proof that your physical body is breaking down but I ask you to try to remember what has God said what is the promise he's made over your life and out of that you've got to learn to stay in position you need to stay in position of prayer because a lot of times when we're going through dry seasons we try to get up and do things on our own and if we would just stay in position and pray God would undertake well, it's quiet in here on a Sunday morning. I, maybe, maybe I'll sleep. I, I don't know. And then I told you that small cloud equals big miracle because a lot of times we overlook the first indication of change that God sends our way. So let's go forward this morning. I, I probably need to apologize to you because over the course of the last six and a half years, I have referenced this passage of Scripture on numerous occasions and preached several things out of it about perspective. But there is no way on God's green earth that we can uh, go read the passage that we read last week and then move forward and skip over this passage just because we've read it before. There are truths in this passage about how to live through the seasons of nothing. And so I apologize. I recognize we've read this before, but, 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 but let's see if we can learn something this morning. Join me, if you will, in 1 Kings chapter 19. We're going to read verses 1 through 16. It's this, Ahab reported to Jezebel everything that Elijah had done, including the massacre of the prophets. Jezebel immediately sent a messenger to Elijah with her, with her threat. The gods will get you for this, and I will get even with you. By this time tomorrow, you'll be as dead as any one of those prophets. And when Elijah saw how things were, he ran for dear life to Beersheba, far in the south of Judah. He left his young servant there, and then he went on into the desert another day's journey, and he came to a lone broom bush and collapsed in its shade, wanting in the worst way to be done with it all, to just die. Enough of this, God. Take my life. I'm ready to, enjoy, uh, to join my ancestors in the grave. Exhausted, he fell asleep under the lone broom bush, and suddenly an angel shook him awake and said, Get up and eat. And he looked around, and to his surprise, right by his head, were a loaf of bread baked on some coals and a jug of water. He ate the meal and he went back to sleep. The angel of God came back and shook him again, shook him awake again and said, Get up and eat some more. You've got a long journey ahead of you. And he got up and he ate and drank his fill and set out. And nourished by that meal, he walked 40 days and nights all the way to the mountain of God to Horeb. And when he got there, he crawled into a cave and he went to sleep. Then the word of God came to him. So Elijah what are you doing here? I've been working my heart out for the God of the angel army, said Elijah. The people of Israel have abandoned your covenant, destroyed the places of worship, and murdered your prophets. I'm the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me. Then he was told, go stand on the mountain at attention before God. God will pass by. A, a hurricane wind ripped through the mountains and shattered the rocks before God, but God wasn't to be found in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake. But God wasn't in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, fire. But God wasn't in the fire. And after the fire, a gentle and quiet whisper. 
And when Elijah heard the, the, the quiet voice, he muffled his face with the great cloak, went to the mouth of the cave and stood there. And a quiet voice asked, so Elijah, now tell me, what are you doing here? And Elijah said it again. I've been working my heart out for God, the God of the angel armies, because the people of Israel have abandoned your covenant. They've destroyed your places of worship, and they've murdered your prophets. I'm the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me. God said, go back the way you came, through the desert to Damascus. And when you get there, anoint Hazael, make him king over Aram, then anoint Jehu, the son of Nimshi, make him the king over Israel. Finally, anoint Elisha, son of Shaphat from Abel, Mahola, to succeed you as prophet. We pick up right where we left off last week. Mere hours, if you will, after Elijah has this incredible triumphant victory, you see the same man now trembling before Jezebel. I think this passage probably gives us a glimpse into one of the best examples of a nothing season contained in Scripture. I believe it is one of the most severe swings in experience and emotion found in Scripture. He's on top of the mountain one second, but now he's running for his life the next. That's living through the nothings, if there ever was living through the nothings. From he, he goes from a champion, now he's a chump. He goes from powerful, now he's puny. He goes from being a warrior to now he looks like a wimp. He goes from rain man to running man in the blink of an eye. In fact, I would submit to you this morning that the change in Elijah's condition and is so severe that if you really begin to look at this, it's almost even impossible to recognize him as the same man that we read about earlier. He's a shell of who he was. He goes from this man who was on the mountaintop swinging sarcasm and swinging a sword to, to, to this guy that is now with his tail tucked between his legs, he runs for his life. But in his running, he teaches us how to live through the nothing. See, in order to live through the nothings, there are some lessons we need to learn. And, and, and I want to teach you three this morning again from Elijah. The first one is simply this. In the nothings, we must be able to distinguish between insulation and isolation. Okay, y'all going to have to stay with me this morning. The first crowd just kind of looked at me like I was stupid. So, so I'm, I'm trusting the late crowd. Y'all supposed to be awake and helping me this morning, all right? I, I, I just think that so often in the seasons of our life where we're dry and there's nothing, we so long for human companionship that we will seek out people and without even realizing what we've done, we've substituted human companionship for divine companionship. I'm just reading the story here. I, I think you ought to read the story as it really is. It, it, is, is, it is an encounter. Elijah is having an encounter with God. Y'all stay with me now. Elijah is having a face-to-face -face encounter with God. Elijah is having a one-on-one, -on -one, I talk, you talk. I speak, you speak interaction 
with God. Y'all know God? Like the God of the universe God. Like the God that just like speaks things and they come into existence. The God that shows up and drops fire on an altar while all these prophets are dancing around from Baal and can't produce any fire. Like that God. Like like God. Like not somebody, not like an ambassador from God, not like a messenger from God. Elijah is having a face-to-face encounter with God. And the whole time, he's talking to God. I mean, I'd kind of like to have one of those encounters myself. God. The whole time. Like the entire time, the only thing he can do is whine and complain because nobody likes me and nobody will play with me. Seriously now, he's talking to God, God, the God. Are y'all with me? The God. Maybe if I say it all like preacher, like God, he's talking to God, right? And he's having this encounter, and the only thing he can do is focus on isolation. And he misses insulation. See, because I just need to let you in on a clue this morning. I think Jezebel would have made good on her threat. I think Jezebel would have tried to kill Elijah. I think she was a woman of her word enough, she was so angry enough that she would have literally tried to do what she said she was going to do. And Elijah takes off and runs for his life. It was his choice to run. But I think God steps in and uses his choice to run to help Elijah to come to a place of evaluation. And instead what he does is he can only see isolation when God was trying to insulate him. See, I've noticed something. In the nothings, if we're not careful, we will mistake insulation for isolation. And here's what we do. Stay with me now. I'm going to help somebody. We fight our way into relationships and companionship that comfort us. They do. But the problem is, is because we fought our way into relationship and companionship when God was trying to insulate us. We so long to avoid isolation. That we boycott God's purposes and plans in our life because we run to people more than we run to God. See, you can fill the nothings in your life with people and in the very same moment, you can absolutely boycott and bypass your purpose. See, because for some of you, you feel like God is trying to isolate you and the truth is, is he's really trying to insulate you. If he could just insulate you against the naysaying of your boyfriend and the complaints of your girlfriend and the the, the, the negativity of your best friend and if he could just get you away from all the, 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 the posts on Facebook and all the phone calls and all the distractions if he could insulate you from all that he could get you to your purpose but all you want to do is sit in front of God and say I don't have anybody loves me nobody knows I'm all by myself and if you're not careful in your nothing season you will force yourself into a relationship that will cause you to miss your destiny Because they comfort you. 
I'm preaching. Y'all don't have to amen me. I know I'm preaching. I, I, I hope you're going through your contact list right now on your phone, deleting, 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 deleting. God's trying to, been trying to insulate me from them, and I keep calling them. God's trying to get my attention, and I, I keep running to them instead of God. I, I just got to have to delete. I'm going to have to put you like on block just for a few weeks because I can't listen to you anymore. I'm trying to get up. The second thing I notice is this, is that in the nothings, now I've talked to you about this before, but I'm going to hammer it home again until we get it right. In the nothing season, we must be careful that we do not neglect the natural or we will miss the supernatural. Let me see if I can help you. Elijah journeys a day into the desert and he ends up under a broom bush and when he gets there, he is rightfully spiritually exhausted. Stay with me. Go back, think about it. The Bible tells us, I've already read you this account, he has a battle, a a spiritual warfare, if you will, is going on, a spiritual contest between 450 prophets of Baal and Elijah. They gather on a mountain, they each do their own thing, uh, calling for fire from heaven. It is a spiritual battle. It's a contest. And then after he wins that spiritual battle, I read to you last week, he makes his way to the top of a mountain and he sticks his head between his knees. And what I read to you last week says that he entered into a season of deep prayer. That's spiritually exhausting. And so now, surprise, he shows up in the desert and he winds up under a tree and he is rightfully and understandably, spiritually worn out. Right? Come on, cut him a break. He's been fighting. Okay, true. But I also want you to understand that it is abundantly clear that not only is he spiritually exhausted, he is also rightfully physically exhausted. Come on now, let's, let's be honest. Let's go back and look at it again. He, he squares off against 450 prophets of Baal. He wins the victory and he picks up a sword and single-handedly, he must have been a stud, single-handedly he kills every one of those prophets all by his little lonesome. I know we like to doctor scripture up and make it like they, they probably recognize the prophets of Baal probably went, oh well, you won. Here you go. Let me help you out. And they lay down. And he can, come on, really? I guarantee you they fought him. I guarantee, come on, a guy coming at you with a sword? What are you going to do? I think they resisted. I think it was a physical confrontation. And all by himself, 450 prophets of Baal later, he kills them all. Then he goes to the mountain, ends a drought, grabs his robe, takes off running, and runs a marathon, 26 miles. He outruns, he's got to be a stud. He outruns a chariot pulled by horses for 26 miles. And then, if that wasn't enough, he journeys a day into the desert. And he winds up at a tree and, surprise, he's tired. I should hope so. All right, you got the scene? Because I'm getting ready to mess with you. Here is a man who has a great spiritual need. And here's a man who has a great physical need. And as bad 
as he needed a spiritual touch. When the angel of the Lord shows up, the angel deals with the natural prior to dealing with the supernatural. Y'all didn't get it. Let me say it like this. Before he ever gets a blessing, he gets a buffet. And before he ever gets his boldness back, he gets some biscuits. It seems to me that when we are in need of the supernatural, we often neglect the natural. So it works like this. I'm trying to help you now. I'm trying to help you navigate the nothings, all right? Here you go. Some of you are in a nothing season in your relationship. And you desperately need a supernatural intervention from God or this marriage, this relationship is going to completely fall apart. So God, I need you right now. I need you supernaturally. Please, God. But you will not deal with the natural. And so you never see the supernatural. Oh, see, I need, uh, they didn't like it in first service. I'm not expecting Because here's the natural. The natural that we should take care of is like clean up and fix up. Here's a natural one. Shut up. Because you keep asking God to do a supernatural work, but you keep opening up your mouth nagging, and because you're nagging, God won't step in supernaturally because you won't deal with the natural. God, please take my words, and when they go in her ear, I know I'm being mean to her, but I need you to be supernaturally in charge. And like when it goes in her ear, I just pray you deafen her ear so when she hears it, she'll think I'm like whispering sweet nothings. I know I'm nagging at her, but can you just turn that around supernatural? No, deal with the natural. huge God I need a, I, I need you to supernaturally intervene at my work because like man I hate my boss and I hate my co-workers and I, I just can't stand another day at this job and I just need you to overtake this situation supernaturally how about taking care of the natural like show up early like do a honest day's work like get off a of solitaire when you're supposed to be stay late Go above and beyond. <laughs> okay, I'll keep moving. I, I, oh, God, I need a miracle physically. My body's falling apart. God, I'm sick. I'm, I need you supernatural. Please, God, well, why won't we take care of the natural? Like exercise. Like changing some things. Like don't go to Krispy Kreme anymore. We're praying, oh, God, take this French fry, and somehow in the molecular structure of this French fry, could you please just intervene in and, and, and the DNA and in all the, take all the atoms and change them, and although it will still taste like French fries, God, let it be like an asparagus sprout. Oh, God, please change. Give me a break. That's what we do. We do not want to deal with the natural, but we want to see the supernatural. So we go, God, I need a miracle. I need, to see, I need you to supernaturally overtake my thought life. But we'll still go to the same movies. We'll still watch the same TV shows. We will refuse to put any accountability filters on our computer. And then we want God to somehow supernaturally invade our thought life when we won't change anything in the natural. 
I'm stressed, God. I, I, I need you to supernaturally invade my life. I'm, I'm at the breaking point, God. I, I'm so stressed. I'm starting to get sick physically. And yet we won't take a break and we won't take a vacation and we won't put the computer down at like 930 at night because we got work to do. I've discovered, and I mentioned this, this to you a couple weeks ago in our port series, but I want to drive it home again. I need you to understand that I have discovered that miracles most often come on the other side of obedience. Now, let me help you. Let me give you the caveat. And obedience almost always involves the natural. If we would obey naturally. See, a lot of times during the nothings, what we do is we want to try to get more spiritual. I'm trying, man, this is tough. I, am, I, where's, am I being like really super hard today? What's the in the, in, the, in the nothings, we all want to get more spiritual. May I suggest to you that during the nothings, what we probably need to do is get more disciplined? Take care of the natural, and God will most likely and more often we will see him take care of the supernatural. In other words, I'm trying to convince you to quit asking God to supernaturally overturn something that you will not address in the natural. Quit complaining about what you're not willing to confront. Okay, I'll move on. Y'all didn't like that one. Good thing there's a third point. In the nothings, you must learn to distinguish God's voice from all the other noise. See, I, I would say to you that if I went around the room and talked to you about nothing seasons, most of us would describe a nothing season as a silent season. I can't hear God. I've tried to pray. I get no answers. It's like I'm praying and my, my, my prayers are bouncing off the sea. It's so quiet during my nothing season. But I want to suggest to you this morning that the nothing seasons, the issue is not that it's silent. The issue is that there is too much noise. We say that we can't hear God. It's, it's a nothing season because I can't hear God. But what I would suggest to you this morning is that the truth of the matter is this. Is this. We drown in distraction. I believe that the driest days are also the noisiest days. So in this account, what Elijah teaches us is that while we are in the nothings, you must learn to listen more closely. You must make sure that you are tuned into his voice because it is his voice that will bring you out of the nothing seasons. In fact, it is during the nothing moments that you must lean in and listen harder. Because this is what happens. When you're going through nothings, everything calls for your attention. Have you noticed that when you're in the dry moments of life and you really need to hear from God the most, it seems like everybody and everything is trying to get your attention. It is distracting. The TV's calling for your attention. The computer's calling for your attention. Your friends are calling for your attention. Your kids want your attention. Your job wants your attention. The bank needs your attention. My car needs the attention. My yard needs attention. My dog needs attention. My, my neighbor's dog needs attention. Everybody wants my attention. And in the the driest nothing moments of your life 
it's hard to hear God, not because he's not talking, but because everything else is drowning him out. And what we discover is that the winds come and he's not there. And he's not in the earthquake, and he's not in the fire, and he's not in the hurricane. He's there in a still, small voice, and the only way that you can hear him is to lean in. And so my question for you this morning is very simply this. If you're going through a nothing season and you're in the midst of a dry season, when is the last time you heard from God? Because this is what I know. When you're in the cave of pain and you're in the cave of hurt and you've crawled up in the cave of sickness and you're in the cave of brokenness, I know that you hear all the other opinions and if you're not careful, you won't hear God. And I know that, that, that you will be given a multitude of messages. And I know you'll hear a symphony of suggestions. But the bottom line is, is if you're in a nothing season and you're in a dry moment, it is absolutely essential for you, for you to hear from God. When is the last time you were able to push past all the distractions and lean close enough in to hear him and hear what he says? Elijah hears from God and it puts him back on task. He goes from sideline to spiritual father. He goes from angry to anointed. And a lot of times in the nothing seasons, we, can't, we don't think we can hear God at all. And what I would say to you this morning is this, is that it, you have to be on guard because in your dry moments, your nothings will be filled with noise. And I just want to help you this morning. I want you to notice something. If you don't hear anything else I say today, I want you to hear this. I want you to go back and read for yourself sometime this afternoon. Just there at the end. Because Elijah leans in and he hears what God has to say. And I want you to notice what God tells him. Stay with me now. Stay with me. Hear this. Hear this. Hear this. He hears from God. And God sends him back the same direction he had already come. Elijah is told to go back the same direction. Think about the direction he'd come. He hears a word from God and God sends him right back to the desert. Forty days, forty nights, same scenery, dry, all by himself. Stay with me. I'm going to mess with you bad right now, and then I'm going to get out of your way. I'm convinced that most of us want a word from God to change everything externally. But the word from God that will come to you most likely wants to change everything internally. Elijah gets a word, so now surely God's going to send me back through like paradise. Like there's going to be oasis and coconuts and uh, pretty women like 
waving palm branches and grapes and figs and it's going to be a great day. No, he sends him right back through the desert. And too many of us long so badly for a word from God because we think that the word from God is, is, will determine and, and change everything around us. And God sends us a word and we want to sit down and, and we want it to change everything around us and we won't let it change anything in us. And so we say, God, you get a word from God about your marriage and what you do is you sit down and you're expecting everything to change around you. And what God was really trying to do was change in you so that you would respond differently to what was going on around you. God, I got a word from my marriage and so now I'm expecting to sit back and watch while you change my wife and cause her to quit pulling the toilet paper from the wrong direction and cause her to squeeze the, to the, the, the toothpaste from the bottom instead of the top. But the word was to you. It was about how you were supposed to respond with grace and how you were supposed to be the person that would stand up and make the right choices. But because I'm sitting here waiting on you to change my environment I waste the word okay hear me the word that you receive in your nothings may not change anything around you but as long as it changes everything in you you will navigate the nothings and come out better on the other side. Why are y'all looking at me like that? Y'all are like, like, God longs to give you a word. If you're going, listen to me, if, if, I just need to tell you, if I had time, I'd pass the microphone around. I would venture to guess that just about 50% of the people sitting in this room could testify and say, I'm going through a season of nothing. It's really quiet right now. Struggling right now. We come to services like this expecting to get a word from God to change all of that. And we walk into a service like this and God gives us a word and it has nothing to do with all of that. It has to do with everything that's in me and it changes. The only thing that changed for Elijah was that his determination and his direction internally changed. It didn't change one thing about the fact that he finds himself by himself in the desert. But everything changed. And so my prayer is simply this this morning for you. In your dry moments, I'm praying that God will give you a word and that you'll quit waiting on your word to change your wife or your husband or your kids or your job or your environment. But instead, you will allow the word that God sends you to change you. That's my prayer. Father, this morning, I pray for the folks that are gathered here. Many feel isolated this morning. I pray in the name of Jesus somehow, some way, you would allow us to be able to distinguish the difference between being isolated and insulated. For many of us, God, you've been trying to get us away from people because we rely on those people more than we rely on you. And I pray this morning that you would enable us in the middle of a dry season to learn to run to you. We tend not to do that, Father. We just need to be honest. I, we tend not to do that because 
don't always make us comfortable. And the people that we run to do. And so if we're not careful, we run to them instead of running to you. But Father, this morning I also admit this. Those people can't solve my issue. And although I'm comfortable, I'm not cured. And so this morning I pray that you would give us the determination to run to you in our dryness even if you make us uncomfortable Father I pray for individuals in this room that are in desperate need of a supernatural touch from you I pray that in our spirits right now you would line out the natural steps that we need to take to get in order provide the foundation for the supernatural. God, I pray that we would quit waiting on a miracle and instead we would take the steps and order our steps according to your plan and according to what you've instructed us. And We would take care of the natural because we believe that miracles take place most often on the other side of being obedient. So God, I pray that whatever you've told us to do, whether it's to keep our mouth shut, whether it's to work harder, whether it's to live on a budget, whatever changes you've instructed us to make, I pray that we would quit standing around praying, asking you to undo in the supernatural what we're not willing to do in the natural. I pray we would take the steps necessary. Father, this morning I'm asking you that right in the midst of our noise and right in the midst of our nothings, we would hear a word. And that word may not change anything around us. And the scenery may not be any different. Our environment may not change a lick. But this morning I'm asking you for every person in this room and watching over the internet, that is struggling in the middle of a nothing season. God, I'm asking to give us a word that will change everything in us so that we can still get back to our purpose and your plan for our lives. And God, if that requires us to lean in and turn off some of the noise, then so be it. That's my prayer today. This is how we're going to end. I'm going to ask Steve and Julie just to play softly, sing softly for a moment. And I'm asking you, when's the last time you heard from God? I'm asking you in your nothing moment right now to lean in, to push past all the noise, and to hear what God is saying to you. Get a word that will change you in this moment. Come on, press into him for just a moment.
Father, this morning I ask you we need a word. I pray that as these folks go back the way that they came they would go back with a word. even if everything around them seems the same. Something in them will have changed. We need your word. We trust God, I pray that you would enable us individually and corporately to learn to navigate and walk through and live through the nothings. That our driest days will not delay us or derail us. They will simply prepare us.
for our greatest days. Father, we'll be quick to give you glory and honor and praise for your goodness. In Jesus' name. Amen. Very timely word for us. Amen. Something that we all need to hear, something that we need to be reminded of for sure. It's been a privilege to have you join us for this time of ministry. To find more Passion Church resources or to make a donation online, visit www.passionchurch.tv. Remember, you can't live without passion.